Welcome to the podcast of Temple Baptist Theological Seminary of Bruton Parker College. This podcast is focused on encouraging and equipping pastors by way of ministry discussions, personal interviews, and theological explorations where we desire to merge ministry and theology. We're very privileged today to have Dr. Byron Edens, who is the Vice President of Online Learning at Bruton Parker College, as well as the Professor of Preaching and Christian Ministry for Temple Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, we're going to be focusing upon bivocational ministry, and Dr. Edens is well-versed in how to make that work in juggling both full-time education responsibilities as well as pastoral responsibilities. So we're glad to have you today with us, Byron. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad to be a part. Let's just put this in a frame of reference. In terms of thinking about bivocational ministry, you have been in the ministry for 40 plus years. Yes. And how many of those years have been, in fact, as a bivocational minister or pastor? All of those years, exception of one in evangelism. And then um, I would say as um, a what we would consider to be bivocational, yes, at Tennessee Temple University, I was a what they call the preaching pastor. I was one of the three that would uh, fill in for the pastor. And yet at the same time, I was I was involved. So I would say if you would look um, specifically to direct bivocational ministry, probably 30 of those years. And within that span of 40 years, you had indicated to me there was approximately 12 churches that you were a part of. Yes, sir. So you've had an incredible breadth of experience, both in terms of being in churches, different kinds of churches, experiencing that as a bivocational pastor. Uh, Let's just think for a moment about when you go into a new church setting, what is the first thing you do as a bivocational pastor to acclimate yourself to that congregation? Just real quickly, give me kind of a synopsis of your thoughts. Okay. The first thing that I have seen that um, I do in church ministry is not make radical changes. When you go in, if you uh, go in and with an agenda that you're going to make radical changes, and I have seen young ministers go in and say, well, I'm not going to wear a tie on Sunday mornings, and I'm not going to I'm not going to use that pulpit. I'm going to take that pulpit out. And they begin to alienate themselves from the congregation without getting to love the people, and the people beginning to love them. For the first year in bivocational ministry, make only changes that the church and the deacons and all would like to see happen. If you go and make radical changes, you'll cut off the opportunity for them to see your heart and to love them where they are in their setting, uh, they're, they're looking for a minister to come in and, and, and also realize that you engage people and give your job away, Mark. Um, if you go in there and say, I've got all this, I've got all the answers to everything and you do everything, they'll let you do it. They'll back off and let you do it. But if you um, like, for instance, someone says, well, I've been used to doing this um, video ministry in the church. And that was what happened in one church that I was at a bivocational and he said, I've been asking previous pastors, can we start a video ministry that we could do on a weekly basis? He said, absolutely. So he set up a video room and we began to record back in the VHS days. <laughs> and we did recordings every week. Uh, we, we bought VHS recorders and play, playback stuff so they could watch church at home. Uh, something else is to make sure as ministry that you emphasize your own code of ethics, your own integrity. And in our world today, when you have uh, integrity that is not um, being practiced, uh, then it goes to all ministers, not just the the, the ones, but especially if churches have had to undergo that, there's going to be always suspicion. So stay above suspicion. 
Byron, based upon some of the comments you just made, would you say that one of the principles of establishing your ministry in a bivocational setting is to find ways for the people to be involved in ministry themselves rather than you trying to do all the work? Exactly. In other words, give away your ministry. Be able to, you concentrate on two things that I see that they really, really in a bivocational ministry expect other pastor. They expect you to minister to them and they expect you to preach. And I and, and I don't like to say this very often. You cannot be as good a preacher, but, you, but, but and, and you can survive. But if you decide that you're not going to minister to them, you won't. The best expositor preacher in the world can be called to a church. But if he sits in his office from eight to five and doesn't visit anyone, doesn't call anyone, doesn't care for the people, he will not last long in that ministry. And I've seen that happen time and time again. And then demonstrating as a bivocational minister, your faith and your passion. You need to teach the Bible to win the lost and develop the saved. That's an old, old cliche that happened years ago. We had a teach, win, develop clinic from Southern Baptist years ago was was part of that challenge. And it stuck with me that if I'm, you know, um, and you go in the scriptures and you can verify this as well, that that's what Jesus did was he taught, he engaged the people and he uh, tried to develop the saved that were there with him, that walked with him, those disciples that were a, were a part of, of, of the future church. He had a very diverse bunch, didn't he? <laughs> and we have a diverse bunch in our churches in our world today. My background of being in South Carolina growing up, God called me to preach. He helped me to overcome, you know, many, many things as a young man to be able to, to spend the time and, uh, something else on my educational background, I, I didn't say after I finished my four-year bachelor's degree at the University of South Carolina, it took me 17 years to finish a Master of Divinity degree, one course at a time. Um, well, let me ask you about that. Uh, two things that you've been talking about that I want to revisit. The first is a balance of priorities. And then the second would be, how is it that you can consistently prepare quality sermons while you're being a bivocational pastor? I have a a set schedule that I try to develop that is um, a skeleton for each week. For instance, if I'm going to know that I'm going to be preaching next Sunday uh, on, you know, if, let, let's say that I finish up on a Sunday and then I'm thinking about, about this coming week, I'll begin to do my preparations on Monday for that message and work on it uh, and to get it mostly developed during, during that Monday. And then I'll tweak it through the week and, and, and finish it. Um, many times now after 40 years of preaching, there are many, many sermons <laughs> and I try not to ever repeat a message unless it is for emphasis. I set aside the time that I need and, and something else I do. I give my people a outline of my message every week. Uh, in other words, when I walk in to preach on Sundays, um, it might be on, on Saturday night that I finished up something at 12 midnight and I print it off. And I, I lay it out there. They love that because I do preach kind of fast, and you know that. <laughs> and so to keep up with me, uh, sometimes I, I will give, lay out every Sunday, I will give them an outline message ready for them to have. And so they, they can not only hear the message, they can go home and think about it. I never do more than a one-page outline to give to them. I don't go in there with a 15-page outline that they got to take home. One-page outline with the major points that, that are in the message. And my people love that. Um, I didn't always do that, but I do now. 
And, and I've learned that that keeps them engaged, um, especially with an older congregation that I have. Plus, also uh, something else that we do um, in, in our church is that we broadcast our church services and at least do a Facebook Live uplink if we don't broadcast that particular Sunday if something happens. So they can always go back and re-listen to the messages. I was going to say, do you find that you do best preaching through a book or do you do topical series? What's your typical mode of operation? My favorite message um, style is expository, inductive. (laughs) An inductive expository message. And I explained that a little bit. I love starting off with um, in doing a preaching, no matter what my topic is. Um, I love preaching on Bible book expository uh, messages. Like right now, I'm doing a series. Uh, my people had not gone through the book of Revelation uh, with the churches. And, and I have a series that I've gone through in previous churches on the entire book of Revelation. I have that outline and I go back and restudy each one of those messages. I have that set up as a schedule, but also pause the Bible book series for yearly events and and special events. For instance, New Year's Day, you know, it was a, a New Year's sermon based on, um, on Noah's um, uh, landing of the ark on Mount Ararat. And, and, and when he embarked from the ark on the first day of the first month of the, of the year, that coincides um, specifically, I believe, with the New Year's message. So <laughs> that's what I preached on. Uh, then the next Sunday, I started back in the book of, of Revelation. This past Christmas, I was preaching the book of Revelation up to Thanksgiving. I stopped and did a couple messages on Thanksgiving. Then I jumped back in for just um, and did the Christmas messages during December. And and so my pause from right before Thanksgiving to the end of December was for the purpose of doing the Christmas messages that needed to be centralized. And our people love that. Then I go back through the Bible book series. I'll, I'll pause for Easter. I'll pause for Memorial Day, I'll pause for special events, and like Veterans Day, things like that. It's very important for us to do that. Because you are our professor of preaching, I know that you have a strong inclination toward expository preaching, but you did use the word a moment ago, inductive. So how do those two go together? There are many different ways in doing an expository message. Um, I like starting off with the message and building and building and building to the very main point um, to where you end with a, you know, with a progression to where you have your main point and, and, and final climax at the end of the message. <laughs> so I'll give you a little quick, for instance, as you take a look in Isaiah chapter six, you know, Isaiah was, um, you know, was in distress at the first of Isaiah. And yet he had the outward vision. He saw the Lord and the Lord began to deal with his heart. Inward vision, he saw himself. And outward vision, he saw the lost world. So if I preach through that message, I'm going to share about an upward vision, an inward vision, and an outward vision. An upward vision, saw the Lord. Inward, he saw himself. And outward, he saw the lost world. And then you get to the end of that passage. The last thing is, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And the Lord, the Lord asked him, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Here am I, send me. And, and, I, and I see that the expanse of the lost world, the evangelism that we need to do is even foreshadowed, even in that passage out there. So I would build and build and build into, I have a final illustration that illustrates that point along with it. So I hope that kind of gives you a brief overview of my methods. Yeah, so with an inductive approach, you're beginning with an idea. 
And then you're building and progressing, kind of sequencing your thought of, of that idea until you come to the culmination, which then compels people to have some type of action. And decision. And then, and if um, Isaiah asked, now that I'm saved, now that my life has uh, been opened to, to your Lord, what shall I do? <laughs> that would be the same kind of a application to where I would say the church ministry that I'm involved in is a Sunday morning church that we don't have Sunday night services or Wednesday night. And so I'm always going to take in the opportunity for evangelism, an opportunity for training to teach, like to teach the Bible, to win the lost, and also develop the saved. Give nuggets of information and truth that they can they can engage in their life. And uh, like in Revelation chapter 4, where the, the call of the Lord was, in, you know, the scene that we look as, as uh, John the Apostle, said, come up here and see these things which must be hereafter. I believe that to, to being, uh, that parallels with First Thessalonians chapter 4, where at verse 13, where the rapture actually takes place. <laughs> and he says, come up here, that I hear a trumpet. Well, that was the trumpet, okay? He's in the heavenly realm in his vision. And I begin to teach along those that passage all the way to the end. And then the climax of that is that everybody... Uh, he is in the heavenly realm and the four and 20 elders fall down as an example and say, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. We are rewarded with the, with the crowns of glory and the, and the crown of righteousness. I, I think I, all of us are going to have that, that particular crown, but not everybody's going to have a martyr's crown. But whatever it is, when we come in his presence, it's going to be where we bow down and we worship him uh, you know, forever and forever and forever. And so that's kind of a climax at the end of that message. So that gives a good illustrations of, of both an Old Testament and a New Testament passage. And this is the kind of thing that I, I'm excited about teaching young preachers, you know, how to preach and, and get and put yourself in there. I'm not Billy Graham. OK, uh, I'm Byron Edens and I have my particular style. And I know that in my early life, I'm, I felt the felt the anointing of the Lord on my on, on my preaching as going into worship, going to speak. And, you know, we, we can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. When God encamps that service and we feel his uh, His touch on, on the worship and his touch on people that need to be saved, um, that's where we are the avenue to draw people unto the Lord and to teach, uh, especially I, I think about young preachers. Something else that um, uh, you were asking about, I would lay out a sermon plan each year from January all the way through December. Just lay it out. Go ahead and lay it out. Now, there's going to be interruptions. There's going to be funerals. There are going to be snow days and all these things that are going to happen. And lay out a weekly schedule as a bivocational minister. You know what you've got to do if you're working a job from eight to five, you know, and, and you know there's going to be interruptions. Don't overload yourself in your commitments to where you don't give time also for spend a day with your family, with your wife. Make sure you date your wife. Uh, consistently uh, take, you know, don't leave them out. Uh, I've known many ministers that didn't have that priority that I believe is important. And that priority is that God is first, family is second, church and job and everything else is third. Don't leave your family out. They are the most important part of what you do as a minister. Let me change gears for just a moment and ask some pointed questions. One would be, what's the best advice you could give a young minister who has been called from a vocation to now be a bivocational minister? 
pastor at a church? What's the best advice you could give them? Maybe just one thing. What's the nugget that you'd want them to hear? You need to demonstrate the passion and love you have for your people uh, that God has for you and that God can use you for. If you can show you love them when they get mad you or they get angry with you, you just got to love them anyway. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If we can show that consistent forgiveness and, and, and a passion for people, when I say passion, that means you engage in ministry, that you, you're honest about what you do. You know, if you can't be there, get a deacon to go. Okay. If you can't make a particular event, you make sure you let everybody know. Those, those are things, passion and love for your people. What would you say is the single greatest lesson you've learned after all these years in ministry? Do not overcommit yourself. If you overcommit yourself, you will disappoint your congregation, you will disappoint your family, and you will disappoint the Lord. Do not overcommit. Pattern yourself and balance that. Know what your limits are. Uh, and, and Mark, when I when I point my finger, I'm I'm doing my thumb backwards. You 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 know I have a, a strong drive at what I do. Um, there's one thing that they've never accused me of of being lazy <laughs> in all these years. I also know that um, that um, I am a person of multitask, but many times I have to say no. Um, now that I used to not say no, I would try to do it all, and maybe somebody get disappointed. Um, disappoint you know someone that's close to me because I overcommitted and under and underdelivered. So pattern yourself, know your limits, and if you don't know your limits, uh, you know just you'll learn them. Oh, you'll learn them real quick. <laughs> One thing I've always found to be very helpful is to have a group of pastor friends that you meet with regularly for the purpose of sharpening one another, confronting one another. Maybe they'll get in your face and say, listen, you are overcommitted. How can you roll this back some and still maintain uh, faithfulness to the Lord, faithfulness to your family, faithfulness to the church? So a group of pastors can be very helpful, especially a close-knit, confidential group, whereby you can share with them your personal struggles in ministry, and ask for their counsel about circumstances or situations. I would also say, Mark, that is very, very important. You and your wife both are like an island out there, and you've got to make sure that you have, some, you know, some friends that are there. Um, for me, I'm an I'm an A personality. I'm an extrovert, and my wife is more extroverted than she ever has been. But but she wasn't that way when we first got married, and still she she's more more to herself. But she has she has grown in that in that area and loves being involved with the people in the church. Make sure that as a bivocational minister, also very important, find somebody confidential outside of your sphere of influence in that church, because in my ministry um, that I have gone through in in those twelve different churches. I've also found that the very ones that buddy-buddied up to me at the beginning were also the very ones that turned against me when it got toward uh, situations that happened within the local church. And so you have to be distanced at the same time and love them at the same time. A good leader is going to be a strong leader, and he will train others to where you can focus on those two areas, the preaching and loving the people. Byron, I want to thank you for being with us today on the podcast, and I look forward to continuing to work with you here in the seminary. The Lord has great things ahead of us, and to be a partner with you in this ministry is an exciting venture for us both, 
and for others who are a part of our faculty here at Temple Baptist Theological Seminary. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for the opportunity. Temple Baptist Theological Seminary is a division of Bruton Parker College, which is an institution of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Temple Baptist Theological Seminary affirms the inerrancy of Scripture and teaches within the framework of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. For more information concerning Temple Baptist Theological Seminary and Bruton Parker College, go to www.bpc.edu.